Hey everybody, welcome back to a great episode of the podcast. Today we're getting a chance to actually sit down with Jordan Syatt. For those who might not know who Jordan is, Jordan is completely obsessed with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And he's also Gary Vanderchuk, aka Gary V's personal trainer. He's also the founder of the Inner Circle and has his black belt in brand production as far as social media goes when you're a personal trainer. Before we get started, don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you are looking for all the great new episodes, podcasts, everything else, make sure you subscribe and don't forget to like. This episode is sponsored by Spirit Leaf Waterdown, located at 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario. If you're looking for Canada's top cannabis brand, look no further than Alex and his crew at Spirit Leaf Waterdown. If you're looking for anything, they're going to be able to help you out. Just remember to follow us and them, and you're going to save money every single time you shop there. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hope to see you on the mat soon, and don't forget to like and subscribe. We'll see you soon. What happened? We lost the, what the hell? Are you, you you kicked out our? Uh, I didn't kick him out. Yeah, you did. Well, we're leaving no, this. By the way, we're we're already recording. I'm, I'm recording. We're on, it's we're on valuable here. Jordan Syatt time here. We're already recording, and you already kicked him out. I didn't kick him out. It's been like ten seconds, and you already kicked him out. What the this fuck, Aaron? This is a bad omen. This is so bad. I literally there this pop up thing came up that said this meeting's being recorded, and I tried to click accept or whatever, and I clicked leave meeting accidentally. This is oh a- no way! <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, by the way, we're leaving this in. <laughs> Perfect. Well, everybody has finally joined us for the podcast. We are joined by Jordan Syatt. This is an amazing opportunity that we get to speak with this fine gentleman. We, we trained BJJ. He's a fitness professional like Mike and myself, but obviously a lot more successful. So we're excited to have him on. <laughs> and, be- and better <laughs> looking with that. And better looking mustache. with those handlebar mustache for sure that his wife absolutely hates. <laughs> <laughs> she would say, I do not look better looking. That is for sure. But I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. It's a great pleasure. Um, I've been following you for a while. So when I saw that ad come out that you kind of posted on Instagram, like, Hey, I'll be on your podcast. I'm like, Oh, this is a great opportunity. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. People are always like, uh, a lot of people are intimidated. They're like, I don't know. Like I, I want to have you on my podcast, but I'm not sure. It's like, I'll go on anyone's podcast. Like, I don't care if it's your first one, if it's your hundredth one, I don't care how many downloads you get. Like, I just love having conversations like this. So I'm, I'm super happy to be here. Yeah, hopefully, no, this po- sure. hope, hopefully this podcast doesn't suck as <laughs> and, and hopefully we'll uh we'll, we'll have some fun as well yeah no for sure but like a biggest thing is like we know as far as like well i know like you train a lot of brazilian jiu-jitsu and you talk about it a lot with your clients and obviously on your own streams like how did you kind of like even get did you get started with brazilian jiu-jitsu kind of like later or was it something you've seen before and kind of got back into it how did it kind of come about yeah. So I I'm obsessed. I train like five, six times a week, at least I'm like absolutely obsessed with it. I, I wrestled when I was younger. So I, I started wrestling when I was eight and, uh, I remember, so I'm, I'm short, I'm like five foot four, small dude. I come from a short family and my mom was like worried about my brother and I, cause we're smaller. So she was like, I need you guys to learn how to defend yourself. So when I was like eight years old, she was like, I'm going to put you guys into wrestling. And the only wrestling that I knew at that time was WWF style wrestling. So I was like, you want me to hit someone with a chair? And she's like, no, you idiot, like Olympic style (laughs) wrestling. I still had no idea what she meant, but I fell in love with wrestling. Uh, It's like all I thought about when I was a kid was just like basically like wrestling and girls were just, it's all I thought about. Um, I made varsity as a freshman in high school. I had to to 
cut from like 112 to 103 freshman year. And then every year I went up a weight class. So like 103, 112, 119, 125. Um, I was, I was an okay wrestler. I was never great by any means. I, I made States, uh, but like, I, I wasn't placing top three at States at all. So decent, like better than most, but not like great at all. Um, and then after high school, I was like, I don't want to keep cutting weight. I don't want to keep like doing wrestling this much. So I actually, I transitioned to powerlifting. I fell in love with powerlifting. And that way, instead of cutting weight every week for a, a several seasons, I just would cut weight like once a quarter for a powerlifting competition. Um, and then, and then, you know, I always wanted to try jujitsu. There was actually a kid on my high school wrestling team who did jujitsu and he was super good in the way he could incorporate both of them into his wrestling. Um, but I didn't really get into it until about, it was just a little over two years ago now. It was, it was very fortuitous how it happened. I, I was living in New York at the time. And, you know, like every MMA fan, I followed George St. Pierre. And uh, he posted a picture with himself and some of his training partners. I was just clicking on the tags. And one of his training partners followed me. And I was like, well, that's fucking cool. Like, that's crazy. So I messaged him and, and, and he was, he has a, he has a, he owns a Henzo Gracie. His name is Mark Cerrone. He owns a Henzo mm -hmm. Gracie Academy in Connecticut. And so he actually was like, you know what, I'm going to come into the city. Let's just start meeting and do a couple privates. So he came from Connecticut into Henzo's in Midtown. And, uh, and I started doing that with him in June or July of 2019. And then, uh, I, I didn't really start going consistently until September of that year. And then I was hooked. I just, I started off with like two times a week and then very quickly ended up going five times a week. Awesome. That's awesome. So like, what, what were some of like your first experiences, like going to like a jiu-jitsu class? Is, it's, is it was like very intimidating for you? Like you've had like, you know, like in a pretty extensive athletic background, like you've wrestled, like, you know, you've been a, you know, a personal trainer and online fitness coach for a long time. Like what were some things you learned like that very first time, like you stepped into the, into, into the mats and like tied the belt. First and foremost, it was petrifying. Like I, I was petrified. Um, yeah, I, I, it was, I, I don't really, I'm sort of at a loss for words outside of, I was petrified to go into the gym. Um, you know, it was petrifying for a number of reasons, not least of which, you know, the, the DDS squad was there, right? So you had Gordon and Gary Tone and, and all those guys who, by the way, all of them were super nice. Yeah. Like, very nice. Gary Tonin's one of the nicest people I've ever spoken with, just super encouraging. Um, it was interesting. So like I was petrified, but also I was petrified around the higher belts, but around the white belts, I actually felt really confident because I had the wrestling background. So I, I felt really good. Um, but I'll never forget this. The first ever class, I went, this is day one, day one of a class in jujitsu. I walk in and, you know, they line up by belt. So black belts up front, then brown, then purple, then blue, then white. I had no idea. So I'm there fresh, brand new gi on brand new <laughs> belt on just clearly the, the new guy in the room. There's got to be at least 30 to 40 people in there. And I'm standing right up front with the black belt <laughs> <laughs> right up front, just like completely oblivious to the order of how things are supposed to go. And this one is uh, she's a good friend of mine. Now she was a blue belt at the time. Now she's purple. She came up to me. She was just like, Hey, just so you know, like white belts are supposed to stand in the back. And I was just mortified. Just, I was like, Oh, <laughs> fucking idiot. Like, of course. <laughs> and then, so I go to the back, like red in the face. Um, and that was it. But like, then what was really interesting was even though I had the wrestling background, it definitely gave me an advantage when going against other 
new white belts. But once I started going to get up against any like white belt, three stripe, white belt, four stripe, I was in deep shit. And that was very difficult for me to accept because I had thought because of my wrestling background, I'm just going to blow through these people. And then I end up getting caught in triangles and arm bars like constantly. And, you know, I was a spazzy white belt going crazy the whole time, just trying to, trying to wrestle instead of using jujitsu. And uh, it was, it was very, very humbling. And then the last story I'll tell you, there was actually one time where I was doing a class. It was within my first couple of weeks. I was rolling with a, a purple belt. He was going very easy on me, very easy and nice, not like hurting me. But when he had top pressure on me, like I will, I will remember this till the day I die. When he had top pressure on me and he was holding me inside control, I, I there was a moment where I thought I was going to cry. And it wasn't because like, uh, it, it wasn't because I was scared. It was just like, in my mind, walking around for those many years after high school wrestling, I was like, I feel confident to take, like, take care of myself. And all of a sudden I realized I can't do anything to this, like literally nothing. And, and, and he even said he was on top. He's like, bro, you got to try and move. I was like, bro, I fucking can't. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, I had the lump in my throat. I was like, I wanted to cry. Unfortunately I didn't, but I was like, holy shit. And, and I can see why so many people quit jujitsu early on because you just have moments like that where you're like, how in any way am I ever going to get to a fraction of as good as one of these people? But uh, yeah, now, now I'm just absolutely obsessed with it. Yeah, Dave, you know, I feel bad because like, I think me and Aaron in our history here, like Aaron's a black belt himself. Uh, he just got his black belt last year. I'm, you know, I'm sandbagging hard at brown belts. I'm going to keep that thing forever. <laughs> I've been up, I've been, a, I was a pro belt for like 10 years, but like, I digress, but like, there's times that like, you know, even like we are higher ranks where it's like, wow, like we think, Hey, we're higher, you know, we're higher up brown belts, black belts. People look at us. They're like, Hey, like, you know, you guys must be pretty good. And then we train with people that are actually good. And we just realize how <laughs> absolutely horrible we are still as well. So don't feel <laughs> bad about it. I remember my coach Hoffa, when I lived in New York, he, he had a saying, I'm sure this is a saying in jujitsu, but he would always be like, uh, you know, there's black belts. And then there's black belts. Yeah. And, uh, and it was like, oh man, that, that was an interesting way to look at it. And, and you can relate it to anything, right? Like there's basketball players and then there's basketball players, like there's NBA players and then there's Michael Jordan, right? It's like, just because like you have that top tier belt or like you you're seen as one of the best doesn't mean you're actually like one of the best. No, for sure. Cause I, like, I remember going to, um, I had the pleasure to go train in the blue basement like many years ago, I think when I was a purple belt and I got to roll with Johnny Grippo and it was just, I, you know, like I was a purple belt, you know, he's a brown belt at the time because he just got promoted and I'm like, okay, I think I could do pretty well or whatever. I had some form of feeling like I'm okay. And then he just beat the absolute piss out of me. I'm like, I, I, I had a great class. It was awesome. I got to meet Henzo and all that kind of stuff at the class, but it was just like, I'm really shit. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'm like, I gotta go back home. I don't tell people this story. Like, we all have those stories. I actually have one. Uh, I was training at Autos. I was doing actually like the Mundials. I was doing like the World Championship, and I went to some classes at Autos, and uh, I had the pleasure of rolling with some people there. And I thought, you know, I'm I'm doing pretty good. You know, like you know, purple bell. I'm you know trying to win like a world championship, and then I rolled with JT Torres. Oh man! <laughs> and then I I, uh, I found out how much I'm really really not good at jujitsu at that time. Where 
there's one side of the mat and there's the other. And I think he picked me up and brought me to the other side of the mat <laughs> and put me down <laughs> on several occasions. And then after, hey man, good job, man. You did awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so like when you kind of see like how you've obviously transitioned from like obviously wrestling, powerlifting, BJJ, you know, like, and obviously seeing all those different aspects, like, has that kind of like changed the way, whether you approach your clients or like how you kind of work with them on different, like adding different things into their programming or like, is it kind of like just stick with the goals and how, how you build it up? You know, <clears throat> when I was a younger coach and up and coming in the industry, I was really sort of the way I am now at jujitsu. I'm just like, there are so many options. There's so many mm -hmm. things you can do. Like, this is, this is crazy. It's sort of how I was with program design. I was like, there's so many things you can do. There's so many exercises. There's so many ways to undulate and to, to periodize and da, 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 da. And as I got better and better and better, and as I would say, I became more of a black belt in program design. I was like, listen, it's just the basics, right? It's just like mm -hmm. the basics work. And, and so, um, my program design isn't outrageous or crazy or extreme. I would say my program design is sort of like Hadra Gracie's jujitsu. It's just like, it's just really good fundamental basics. And mm -hmm. when you get someone who wants to build muscle or someone wants to lose fat or someone wants to get more athletic, their programs will change slightly, but it's still fundamental basics that work the best. Um, so from an actual programming perspective, I don't think much has changed at all, uh, I would say in the last few years, just because I, I found a system that works really, really well. And it's really built around making sure people uh, focus and master the basics. And then from there, you get a little bit better and better. The thing that has changed is the mindset approach. And that has largely been influenced by wrestling. It has largely been influenced by powerlifting. And it has largely been influenced by jujitsu. Um, because it's not hard to find a program that works. You can go on Google. You could find a program that works. It's not like, as long as you're, you're consistent with something, you're going to get better. Right. Mm -hmm. And most people, what they struggle with is their mind. They struggle with the, the mentality of it. They struggle with staying consistent. And that's what I've found. So interesting is like, why have I been able to stay consistent with something like my business? And I attribute a lot of that to the lessons I learned in wrestling and the lessons I'm learning in jujitsu. Um, being able to stay consistent with your nutrition, being able to, to decide you're going to do something, know it's going to be difficult, know you're going to fail, know it's going to take a very long time to achieve any level of success, but you continue to stick with it. And I think that's sort of what changes with my coaching as a result of going through these things. Is that kind of the biggest thing, like kind of tying it all back into like jujitsu, powerlifting, like it's my, it's really like it's mental and it's mindset where you, it's going to take a lot longer than you think it's going to take that to be overwhelmingly successful when it comes to like gaining, you know, gaining muscle, losing body fat, getting your blue belt, getting your purple belt. Is it, is it all, are those kind of the things that you've taken overall in the big picture? It's so it's like, it's going to take a long time, but also have you ever read the iron by Henry Rollins? No, I haven't. No, got it. it's it's like it's not it's not a book. It's just like a, a paper, right? It's like oh, this, is it like this is little thing about two hundred pounds is two hundred yes. pounds. Yeah, okay, two hundred yes. pounds is always yeah. two hundred pounds. Yes. Yeah. One of my favorite pieces of writing ever written. That piece of writing changed my life. Like I think in college I would have said it saved my life. Um, it's when I got super into powerlifting. But one of the things I like about someone saying two hundred pounds is always two hundred pounds is because even if you dedicate a lot of time. You dedicate a lot of time to training. 
you're super consistent, you go 200, 300, 400 pounds. Well, then what happens if you're like, ah, well, I've, I've already deadlifted that. So I'm good. I don't need to train anymore. Well, you spend not too long in the gym. You stop training 200 pounds. is still going to be 200 pounds. You might not be able to lift it anymore. And I think that sort of it, it's, it speaks to the importance of consistency forever. Like just because you get something at one point in time, you've got to keep earning it. You don't just, you, you don't earn it once and then have it forever. You've got to continue to, you got to keep paying rent. And that's like the, the same exact thing here with nutrition, with strength training, with jujitsu, all of it. You've got to keep paying rent. You got to keep showing up for class. You got to keep showing up for nutrition always. And it doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but you got to keep showing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean by that. Cause I, like, I don't know how it affected you so much, but obviously like here in Ontario where we are, um, we shut down for like close to 18, you know, like eight, nine months for a wow. long time. We're like off, a lot of different off clubs and on. Yeah. Off and on a, all over the place. On, yeah. So like jujitsu clubs were like shut down. We couldn't tra train legally, but like, <laughs> we, <laughs> we couldn't train. <laughs> we couldn't train, but you know, for, the, they, for, they, those, for those, uh, for those listening, uh, audio, we were doing a heavy air quote on le <laughs> heavy air quotes. legally train, <laughs> but, um, but I know like New York was like obviously the same way, like all the all these different clubs had to shut down unless it was like for pro training. So like kind of getting not training for like three, six months and then trying to get back onto the mats and then going through that whole transition again, you're like, I don't remember anything or I have no <laughs> cardio anymore. And it's like, yeah, it was just a ugh, grind. Dude, even if I take like two weeks off, if I take two weeks, if I take one week from jujitsu after we'll say like five or six months of being unbelievably consistent, one week is good. My joints feel better. Like mm -hmm. mentally I'm refreshed two weeks. My cardio is screwed up. Like I feel it immediately. And it takes about another one to two weeks to get it back. Yeah. I yeah, agree. Everybody, everybody's always talking about like, what do you do cardio wise for jujitsu? I'm like, you just got to roll. Honestly, like it's, yeah. it's just like in wrestling. It's like, what do you do? You spar, you drill, it's like what are you gonna do you're gonna go run you're gonna go run you, you take like a month off jujitsu it's just you, you gotta do jujitsu honestly that's my best advice when it comes to how do i get better cardio for jujitsu roll until you're tired and then keep rolling you guys are are infinitely better than i am or ever will be in jujitsu so if i say anything that's stupid correct me um one of the the things that has helped me a lot with my jujitsu cardio specifically doing jujitsu has been specific training yep because mm -hmm. yeah i i when I'm doing live rounds, right? Five, six, seven, eight minute rounds. Sometimes you'll find yourself in a position and you'll just stay in that one position for, you know, one, two, three minutes, depending on the person you're going with and how intense they're going. And I like, it's, it's good from a competition perspective because you're, you're learning that movement and you're rolling, but I get way, way, way more conditioning from like, all right, we're going to do specific rounds, guard pass. We're going to do specific rounds, escaping yeah. from out specific rounds here. I found that to be the best way for me to improve my conditioning. No, I would agree with that hundred percent, just because it's that specific movement. You had obviously the same type of pressure, that same type of isometric base cardio that's going to be there hundred yeah. percent. Like, and for like, obviously for competition purposes and trying to get people used to those positions and main, especially if like the goal is to pass and then maintain for three seconds. And then if the person's still trying to bump out or whatever, and then you get back to half guard or whatever it is, yeah. those are like the it's the best and safest way to condition an athlete without trying to hurt them as well. Yeah. Because like, you know, like live rounds can, you can only do that so many times, especially if you're trying to compete. Right. Yeah, and yeah. especially if you want to have that intensity feel, whereas you can do specific sparring and those, and it's like low impact, but obviously we're more specific. Yeah. I, I think 
I, over the last six months, I think my jujitsu has really improved a lot. Uh, and I still suck. Like I really suck. But <laughs> don't I, worry. We still don't worry. We still <laughs> the, don't worry. I, I've noticed such a big change with the specific training. And I think also because when, when, when you go from drilling to specific, drilling to specific, as opposed to such an emphasis on just live rolling all the time, because I feel like with live rolling, you end up going back to a lot of your bad habits that you haven't drilled on. But oh, when yeah. you do like drilling on a specific movement, like for example, one thing I've been doing this week, this week with my professor, we've just been just guard passing drills, various guard pass drills from open guard. And then, and then we, we specific drill open guard. And then that's it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, which is great. Cause then you can practice what you just drilled and you also get the conditioning in as opposed to, um, I feel like other times where I, where I've trained, it's just been live roll, just go out and roll, go out and roll, go out and roll. And I think there's a time and a place for that, but if you don't know what to do, it's like, fuck, I'm just out here sort of flailing. Yeah. Or you, you kind of fall into like your old habits of like, all right, you know, Jordan D one wrestler is just going to grab a single leg and put you yes. down and like, you're going to go back to the things that you're, you're strong at, but you're not going to, you're not going to improve on the things that you should improve on like your weak points. And that's why yeah. I think specific sparring, you mentioned it. And I think it's one of the best ways of honestly learning to, especially for beginners starting out. Yeah. That makes total sense. So like, um, obviously going from the blue basement. So where are you training now? Are you, because it's in Dallas, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm at Alex Martin's, uh, Alex Martin's BJJ. He's, uh, he's fucking amazing. He's, he's an absolute beast. He just got second at master's worlds. Nice. Um, really, really, really talented athlete. And also just a really good hearted coach. Um, brutal to roll with. Like it, <laughs> <laughs> he he says he, he gives me a free massage every day where he just like just smashes <laughs> me like where I can't even breathe uh his pressure has been unbelievable to deal with but yeah I I the thing I like about working with him is he's been very good about tailoring jujitsu to my personality and my game a lot which was like he he's very artistic with it he's like listen your personality is like super aggressive uh, you're not one to just like lay back and just like let shit happen. Like he knows I'm, I'm not going to pull guard. Like I, I couldn't imagine a situation unless I maybe went into an absolute weight, absolute division where maybe I'd pull guard. But even then, I don't know if I fucking want to be on bottom of someone who's like a super heavy, but, uh, like, you know, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to pull guard. Um, so he's just like, he's doing his best to tailor it to my personality, which has been really fun. That's good. So you're definitely not pulling guard on Aaron. Who's also super heavy right now. <laughs> like, dude you like, said you were like you said you were what 225 the other day are oh, you nuts no i lost weight man <laughs> i'm like 190 now <laughs> You're 190, I, did gain, you I did gain weight i know i did but i'm not like crazy like i'm 190 now i'm back to like normal <laughs> back to normal back to nah, i'm floating around like 200 205 right now actually what what would you guys actually i'm interested in your opinion because i know i said i, I probably wouldn't want to pull guard on someone who's much heavier than me, but then I watch someone like Mikey Musumeshi who pulls guard on everybody. And then he tires these huge guys out and then takes their back or something like, what would you, what do you think? Like for a smaller guy competing, let's say I go in an absolute division. Like, do you think pulling guard is the right move or like using my wrestling, trying to take him down? And then like, what would you do? I'd be like, okay. I would look at it two ways. Like if your game is more specific for a top pressure type game, then don't why pull guard and put yourself in a spot where you're not going to be the most um, that's not your position. That's not where Got you it. train. Right. Yeah, yeah. So my, like, again, if it, then this is what I did not do at one tournament, Mike and I were actually <laughs> just talking about it at one point. I, I was in absolute division with this guy. who was like 300 pounds 
um, six, four, like he's massive. There's a picture of me and him beside each other. And I'm like a midget. basically. <laughs> it's, it's insane. And so I was a dumbass and decided, Oh, I'm going to try and single leg this guy. And I literally <laughs> felt like I w- ran into a wall and then I was like, okay, that was a bad idea. And then I pulled guard on him and I was like, this is a really stupid idea. Which was also not a good idea. <laughs> so anyway, so that was a bad game plan at that point. But anyways, the, but again, like if your if your game's top game, okay, it's like try to tire him out standing up and just like whether you wait for him to make the mistake for you as an ankle pick or, or something available there. But, but a guy like Mikey, his game is guard. Right. Yeah. So he knows how to get entangle guys and get, especially if it's a gi tournament, he's going to get guys and be able to take his back and all that kind of stuff. That's his game. So yeah. I would say, first thing you have to stick with what your strengths are. And if your strength is a top game, then don't bother trying to pull guard on a big guy. Try to out, not necessarily out wrestle him, but out tire him up, down, snap downs, in and out, whatever you can and God. then run the clock. And then maybe you score two points. Maybe right? that's what Aaron should have did that match. <laughs> what I should have done now that I think about it. But no, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron makes a very good point though. I think you got to look at what are your strengths and weaknesses. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses in jujitsu. Like Aaron does. I do. I'm sure you do as well. Um, I think you got to look at, okay, like this is your game plan. These are your strong points. How do you get every match into the points that you are the strongest in? So like, let's say if your strong point is wrestling, for example, and you're an absolute, okay. You may be a lot smaller than somebody, but there are specific maybe wrestling, you know, shots and things that you can do where you can mitigate someone's weight. So like, let's say, you know, Marcelo Garcia, for example, like, you know, competing in ADCC open weight, he's not trying, he's out wrestling guys a lot bigger than him, but he's also, instead of trying to like, you know, shoot a blast double and go through them, he's arm dragging them and going around to the back or he's snapping them down or he's going around to the back. So I think you need to use not there's specific things in wrestling and judo that work very well for jujitsu. And there's other things, maybe not so much that you got to tailor to like what your, your overall game is and use those to, you know, you know, basically compete against people that are a lot bigger and stronger than you. And that's, that's the name of the game. It's me on the other end. It's I'm a kind of a bigger, more flexible guard player who got it. You know, does who does a lot more like, you know, the I I train at a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu school and I do not do Gracie Jiu-Jitsu whatsoever. <laughs> I do a lot more like I'm going to grab a lapel and sit down and entangle it around someone's face or my foot <laughs> or my upside down inside out and I could probably get stomped in the nuts doing this on on <laughs> in an actual street fight. So Sport jiu-jitsu, like things like that work other, you know, self-defense standpoint, maybe not so much, but I think you got to look at it. How, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And you got to make people play the game that you want to play. So like, if you're going to pull butterfly guard, you never play butterfly guard. And then you're putting yourself in a disadvantageous spot versus if your strength is wrestling, how do you use your wrestling to, you know, score and event and eventually like either win points or get to positions that you like if you like the back and you like choking people from there how do you get there that makes sense that that helps a lot thank you so like so um, speaking of speaking right, of go mike. Ahead, no mike go oh go mike go mike go um so you competed you competed at pans as well so we're talking about you know competing as well and um how did how did you how was that tournament for you like you competed at you know 2020 pans that's actually a tournament that I may be going to potentially next year uh, in 2022. But like, what was that experience like for you? And also this is one of Aaron's all time favorite questions. He hates when I ask this, 
So what's your mindset when you go to compete? What's your mindset, Jordan? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so I was a white belt when I competed at pants. Uh, it was my first ever competition and I did not realize how big of a deal pans was. Uh, and I was all, I was competing in the adult division as well, which my coach Hoffa, I love that. He'll love me. He's amazing. <laughs> but he was like, uh, he was like, man, white belts and adult are really fucking good. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> they, they were like none of the white belts I've ever gone against. Like uh, the, my first match went well. First match, I actually won 35, nothing. Uh, I felt bad for the kid. Like he it was, he, I think he must've been brand new. Um, but my next match started off really, really well. And I, the kid that I, I lost to in my second match, he, he was in the finals. He was winning with 16 seconds left in the finals. And then he reaped the knee. So he lost. Uh, mm. So like he, he would have won, but so he got second. This is the guy I lost to. Uh, I actually, I took him down. I literally every competition I've ever gone to, I always start the match to nothing. Every time I always take him down. And I start to nothing. And if I lose, it's always because I get submitted. I like leave my head out or leave my arm out or something. So took him down, got to, he stood up. I took him down again. It was four, nothing. And then, uh, and I just got, I, I left my, I left my arm out and he was, he had got a super tight arm bar and, and I tapped and, and that was it. Um, it was a really fun experience. I didn't realize how big of a, of a tournament it was until then I went to several other tournaments, smaller tournaments are like, Oh, okay. So like the opens, the, the like the Atlanta open or the Austin open. Um, it was funny. Um, before that competition, I actually spoke with Jake Watson um, who, uh, I forget the name of their podcast, uh, him and Danny O'Donnell, they have a, a jujitsu podcast as well. Yes, they do. I forget the name of it as well, yeah, but, but we're on the choking hazard podcast right now. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. I love to, I actually love Jake Watson, but, uh, they're, they're super nice. And Jake gave me some great advice going into that competition, basically just being his advice wasn't what I tried my mentality to be like was, um, focus on, on doing his advice was instead of focusing on an outcome, like you want to win gold, you want to win, like whatever, whatever you want to happen, focus on making sure you do what you plan to do. So like, if you know, you're going to take them down, make sure at the very least you take them down, make sure you at the very least, like stick to your game plan and do that to the best of your ability, as opposed to having this outcome focus goal, I would say, make it more of like a, a an expectation focus goal on what you expect to do, which that helped me a lot. It helped calm my nerves um i've competed several more times since then and every time i compete i get more calm and more relaxed i was so gassed the first time i competed just because like adrenaline was so high and i was like ah! like i just like wanted like to, to i wanted to submit immediately i think is really where my head was i was like i want to get them down and submit them as quickly as possible and i realized in a competition setting that's probably a bad idea because they're another competitor. They're also skilled. And, uh, the more I do jujitsu, the more I realize like, it's hard to get submissions. <laughs> like it's really difficult and try and for the first minute, everyone's fresh. Like for the, they're both like the person you're going against, they're fresh, they're strong. Like it's going to be very difficult to get them to submission, but if you can tire them out over the course of three, four, five minutes, you're much more likely to actually catch them in something. So that's where I think my mindset has shifted to being okay, going longer, longer rounds rather than trying to submit immediately. I think the best advice for white belts competing is just calm the fuck down a little, yeah. <laughs> just yes. a little, just bring it down a tad. I think I, I think I said before, and it was actually a great analogy that like one of our students, uh, me and Aaron's uh, students that would train with us. I'm like, white belts are kind of like toddlers. Like you gotta, 
you you love them but like you got to guide them in the right in the right direction like you got to make sure they're not sticking a fork in like a light switch or anything like that they can't like you got to make sure that like they're on the right path like they're just they're just learning how to walk <laughs> you know you know why i found being a white belt so difficult was because you're thrown into the scenario in which like you're legitimately fighting right you're legitimately fighting and you have no idea where you are safe and where you are not so the reason I was a spazzy white belt was because I was like, I don't know if this position is a position in which you can kill me or not. So I'm just going to go really hard the entire time. <laughs> 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 I, think I think that's all of us. So I don't think that's th one thing that you're just guilty of. I think I was all of us. Like, I think Aaron was a spazzy white belt. Oh, I, was, yeah. I was, I was counting like, Oh my God, I tapped this guy four times. Like, like it's like at the end of the day, like who gives a shit? Like, yeah. 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 Training. <laughs> Have you kind of noticed that like Texas is now becoming the new Mecca for all these new gyms heading down there? So like San, San Diego was one, because obviously you had like the Mendez brothers, you had the Atos, you had yeah, Keenan yeah. and all those guys. And now everybody's starting to migrate down to Texas. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it's, I think it's mainly just due to the, the last two years, the pandemic and they're, they're coming from places that are making it infinitely more difficult to, to own and run a business. And it's like, why would you pay those super high taxes if like they don't even really want you there if they're going to make it that hard for you so yeah it's mm -hmm. been interesting to see like the you know new wave and and mexican ground karate which like, yeah. i thought was literally the best name ever <laughs> <laughs> like i want to get one of those t-shirts oh yeah uh, no, 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 for sure <laughs> so yeah it's been very cool we'll be we'll be getting one of those as well we got we got canadian ground karate coming soon oh that's awesome <laughs> that's amazing Canadian maple syrup ground karate coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Over, go ahead. Yeah, go, no, no, go, go, Mike. Just go last Mike. thing, like kind of just talking about, go Mike, go Mike. So just talking about like, you know, jujitsu, one more thing with that. And it's just like the next couple of years, like just overall, like what are, what are kind of like your long-term goals with jujitsu? Is it just like a hobby you're doing for fun? Do you, do you see yourself teaching one day? Like where, where do you, where do you see this going for you? you? Know, it's a good question. And in terms of people always ask me this in my business, ever since I started my business, like, where do you see, where do you see yourself in five years, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And I've always been like, I have no idea. I just want to help people and have fun. And that's sort of where I am with jujitsu right now. Like I, I just love it. I'm absolutely obsessed with it. I go from jujitsu in the morning, I come back and I watch jujitsu tutorials or Donahue videos or whatever on my, like, and it's all day, every day. Sometimes I'll go twice a day. Um, the one thing that is in my mind that as I've gotten older and matured, I've realized that I, I don't think, and I, I might go back on this in several years, but I don't think I want to make money off of jujitsu in the future. Like, I don't think I want to, I want it to become a business just because anytime you make something a business, it's, you can lose the joy of it. Uh, you can lose the joy of what, what brought you there in the first place. Uh, and I've experienced that with myself and with strength training and all of that, you know, you, you coach people for eight, 10, 12 hours a day in personal training. And then like, you don't want to work out anymore. You're like, I'm fucking tired of this. Like, I don't want to do my own workout. So I, I don't think I'd ever want it to get to that point with jujitsu. I, my first and foremost priority with it is just to make sure I keep getting better and keep having fun with it and enjoying it and improving and, and making myself a better person as a result of it. And if I'm lucky enough to have kids introduce them to it as well, um, but that, that's just where my head is at right now. Like, um, I know like, I do have some people at the gyms I've worked at who are higher level competitors who 
they ask me to help them with their strength training and their nutrition. And I do it for free. I'm like, yeah, it's like, I just really enjoy it. I don't charge them. I just, I love doing this. So uh, potentially that might be something I do in the future. Uh, but as of right now, I just have so much room to grow and so much, so much to get better. That is that's all I want to do. It's just, I just want to get better at jujitsu. Yeah. I think you mentioned a really good thing because like you, you talk about it being as a passion thing for you right now, right? Like you're just enjoying that process of learning and you're doing anything. And then, like you said, once you return it into a business, it becomes something else. And I think that's like a lot of trainers, especially they get into that burnout phase where they start with that big passion for training and they love helping people. And then it becomes like, obviously it's a business. They're trying to make money doing what they're doing and they work 12 hours a day or 13 and they're like burnt out. And then, then they turn to hate it because like, yeah. Mike and I have worked at like big box gyms before, and we've seen tons of trainers like come and go because they, this is something they love. And then next thing they know, they don't like that grind as far as like, I hate working with people now. And they're now they're, they do, they do stuff, other stuff, right? They, people are the worst. <laughs> that is true. I've seen, I've seen it before, like different staff members leaving. And I mean, like, so like a guy like yourself, like you've had a great opportunity, like working with a guy, like your client, Gary V and all these other high profile individuals, like, have you had to like change the way you kind of approach everybody or like, do you kind of still keep it as a passion project to still work with people and, and keeping that level with everyone? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the reasons coaches burn out, there are many reasons. I mean, number one being, you know, if you're coaching eight, 10, 12 hours a day, that's brutal. Nobody can, can make that last forever. Uh, and I even, I even have told many coaches and I decided, uh, I'm probably not going to open a gym, but I remember when I, there was a time in my life and I was like, oh, maybe I will. I decided beforehand, I was like, if I open a gym, my coaches will not be allowed to train for more than two hours in a row because training for more than two, like at two hours, like you're done. Like you, you, you've put in a lot of mental and emotional energy with those clients. And if you do that for four or five, six hours straight, you're wrecked. It's not a good day. Uh, and there's always those one or two clients who feel like they, they take the energy of 10 clients and, uh, it's just, it's, you add that into a normal day and it can be brutal. So that's one reason why some people will burn out. But I think the other reason why a lot of coaches burn out is because they feel like they can't be themselves. They've got to put on a face, right? They've got to put on a face. They've, they've got to like talk in a certain way. They've got to coddle their clients. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I started to burn out earlier in my career. Cause I was like, Oh, I got to be professional and I have to put on this face of like, I'm a business owner. And now I think one of the reasons I got the job working with Gary is just because I was like, I don't give a fuck. Like just, I, I didn't treat him as anyone different. I didn't treat him as like a, a world famous entrepreneur. I just treated him as like another individual. And I was myself and I was like, all right, get off your fucking phone. Let's get the workout in. Let's do this. Uh, and I think the more you, that's just me. I'm not saying everyone has to say that to their clients yeah. and act like that, but that's just how I am. That's how I talk. I'm from Boston. Like we're more just like no bullshit. Just like say like no beating around the bush. Like that's how my family is. Hey, right, Gary, get the fuck off your phone, mate. That was the worst Boston accent ever. <laughs> fucking fucking Canadians. It's like you motherfucker, get off your fucking phone and get on the phone. We're gonna do planks, all right? It's like, <laughs> that's um, how you do it, motherfucker. But, uh, yeah. Okay, that was much better. Thank you. The more you can be yourself, the less you'll burn out. And it doesn't prevent it because it will happen. But um, yeah, with my clients, I am who I am. And I think it turns a lot of people off, but it also attracts a lot of people to me because they're like, I respect that you are who you are unapologetically. And I think that can help. Is that kind of like a thing like now where I don't know, I don't know if you can call it a thing, but like, it's kind of like you're attracting like 
basically like the people that you want to train, if that makes yes. sense. Or it's like you're yeah. attracting your tribe of tribe yeah. or like some people call it that. Like, is that basically like kind of like the big secret? It's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to be myself. This is who I am. I swear I do this and that. I have a handlebar mustache. These are the people I'm going to train and I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I'll never forget. So I started my first website in July of 2011. So just over 10 years. And on the home page of my website, I basically, I don't remember what it was verbatim, but I said something like, I don't give a fuck about X, Y, or Z. Like, and, I, and I'm like, I'm a no bullshit guy. I don't give a fuck about X, Y, or Z. And my mom was the only person looking at my website at that time. And, and she was like, uh, Jordan, no one's going to want to work with you if you swear. And I said, mom, if someone doesn't want to work with me because I swear, then I don't want to work with them. And uh, that was before I had any clients online. That's before I had anybody looking at my website. And I, I consider myself very lucky that I continued that way because uh, even today, like uh, I get tons of people being like, oh, you're so vulgar. Like your content would be great if you didn't swear, da, 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 da. And I'd be like, I don't, I'm not going to fucking change myself to, to appease you or to not hurt your feelings or whatever it is for whatever reason you've deemed swearing not okay. Like I'm going to be myself. And then other people are like, the whole reason I hired you is because you say fuck so much. I love that. And I'm like, sick. All right. So you're my people. No, I think that's important. And it's like, you have to be authentic. That's the yes. biggest thing. Yeah. And that's why people will attract other people. And then that's how you build your crew. Like that's how you build the people that you want to work with. And I, I agree with that 100%. And this Not is how I am stuck with Aaron doing this podcast right yeah. now. I, hey, I, I, it's worked out. A lot of people, I, I couldn't imagine. I'm sure you've had this experience. Um, I, I can think of someone in the jujitsu community who is like this. We're not saying any names, no names, but, um, and I bet you guys are going to know who I'm talking about. Don't say the name, <laughs> but there's people who are Aaron Gall. Aaron Gall. It's Aaron Gall. <laughs> there are people online who have a certain persona, right? Who online, they, they present themselves a certain way. And then you meet them in person. You're like, what the fuck? Like, you're not like you are at all. Like, this is so weird. And I never wanted to like have someone that I, that like worked with me online or someone who knew me online to then meet me in person and then be like, that was nothing like, like how he puts himself out there. It's just, it's awkward. I don't want that. So whatever you see is what you get, whether it's on Instagram or YouTube or my podcast, or you see me at Starbucks, like you're getting the same person. Yeah. So it, I guess with that person, is it kind of like a marketing thing to like, Hey, I'm going to hype up super fights. So I'm going to sell DVDs. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Is it, is it more for that? And I guess it's also going back to the tribe thing. Like you can be attracting specific people that are like, Hey, you know what? I kind of agree with that persona, but then he may not actually be that persona in person. So it's kind of, it's kind of, it, it's, I think yeah. it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit for marketing a little bit to, to get hype up. I also think that, um, I think that the, it's easier to express yourself how you want to be perceived on social media than it is in person, right? On social media, you can take time to craft a caption or to craft to, to sound a certain way or to be a certain way. But when you're speaking out of your mouth and it's like, and, and people are watching you, it's very difficult to, to try and match that. You've got one chance versus mm -hmm. like, and you've got your tonality and your voice and your body language versus online. You can be a tough guy, right? You can be a tough guy. You can craft something really well-written or say something super aggressively and make it seem like you're one way, but in per it's much harder to replicate that if you're not. I think 
for example, Conor McGregor is an example of someone who like can do it both like online and in person. And like, yeah. he, that's, I think that's him. Like, that's who he is. He also understands the marketing of it. He understands this is going to hype the fight, fight up, but that's who he is. Like we can see in his actions, like that's that fucking guy. Like yeah. that's, that's him versus other people who are like, no, they're, they're not actually that guy or they're not actually that person. It's like, they're doing it because maybe it, it makes them appear more tough or maybe that's how they want to be perceived. I think an example of like an MMA that comes to mind is Chael Sonnen, like back in the oh, day when he was doing yeah, yeah. press conference. Yeah. Cause he, he's a totally different person. Like, and you know, it's an act and you almost like, it's almost like that pro wrestler who's like pretending to like yeah. be somebody they're not, but they're so good at it that you're like, you know what? I don't, I know he doesn't believe what he's saying, but you know, I respect how good he is at delivering <laughs> what That's he is doing. Example. He's so good at that. I, I, and I love his YouTube channel now. I think he does a great job. Oh yeah, no, he's got some great stuff. But like, what I what is it? What is this whole thing? He was like, I'm undefeated. I never got beat, or by Anderson Silva didn't beat me. Mind you, like, meet him in the face like 17 times. <laughs> like, what? I'm pretty sure what you have a of, loss on your record. What like, kind of man? What kind of who 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 does this? Like, you take a man down for over 24 minutes. You punch him in the face. You wrap the you wrap your legs around the guy's head for t- five seconds. That guy's the winner. That yeah. no, that no, that fights <laughs> don't work like that. <laughs> and I'm like, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm looking at him like, you know what? I think he did almost. I think he did win that fight. Actually, you know what? he did win. <laughs> you, you convinced like, me. <laughs> he's like George Costanza. It's not a lie unless you believe it. <laughs> it's the ultimate line. I'm just, I want to, I want to mention one thing actually, just like, you know, cause we're talking about like, you know, transitioning like online and doing like online training and you've done, you know, you've done personal training in person and then you train Gary V, which has been well, well documented. And then you transition to online training. We have a lot of trainers and actually a lot of like jujitsu, you know, practitioners that are looking to like, you know what, like, how do I monetize or how do I, you know, how do I make a living online? Like, yeah, I think, I, I think it's something you know, that's, that's becoming more and more popular as the years go on, especially like w- with what's happened the last like year and a half with the pandemic, what are, what's some advice to some of those people out there listening to this going, Hey, like, how do I transition my business and go online? And is there anything that you can do to help them out? Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually funny. It's actually, so Mark Cerrone, uh, my first jujitsu coach, uh, that was sort of like what our deal was initially. I was like, he was like, listen, I'll give you privates. I'll he'll literally, I'll come into the city, but you got to help me with social media. And I was like, deal, like easy. And, and he's crushed it. Uh, and, and I think that's really where, I think that's really where a lot of jujitsu coaches and people who want to be able to not. So, so here's the thing. I, I think jujitsu is right now where the strength and conditioning industry was about 10, 12 years ago in terms of, I remember when I first started doing online stuff, there was huge pushback from the strength and conditioning world. They were like, this is bullshit. You can't coach people online. It's absolutely worthless. Like you're going to, it's, it's, it's not going to help anybody da, 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 and it's not going to work. And now here we are. And like, it's fucking working really, really well. And people actually enjoy it and it's helping them a lot. I think there's a lot of that with, with jujitsu now where a lot of like, well, I don't, I don't know if it's going to work. Is it right? Should I be doing it? Should I not be doing it? Um, is it even possible to do it? Uh, the answer is yes, it's absolutely possible. Um, the question is, do you want to be fully online 
or would you like some some inline, uh, some online, some in person, a little bit of a hybrid of both? Um, and I think I think most coaches would do best to have a little bit of both, some online, some in person, mainly because you get the best of both worlds. Uh, I do still like to coach people in person, even though my entire business is online. I coach people in person now just because like it keeps me fresh. It keeps me sharp. Like it, 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 I need to keep practicing and coaching in order to keep being a good coach and keep getting better. Um, with that being said, the, Gary has said this a million times. I think it's one of the most, Gary has probably like 10 to 12 things that he said that are the most important for a number of different reasons. In terms of building a business online, one of the things he said is, I believe it's a four word phrase. It's like attention is the asset. And, and that is like the most important thing to understand. If you want to build something online, attention is the asset. And what that means is eyeballs and, and specifically just people. You need to have people who are interested in you and what you're, and what you're doing in order to actually make anything happen. Um, I see in the strength and conditioning world for so long, like these amazing coaches who are great, great coaches just getting pissed because people who they deem not as good coaches are crushing it online and making a lot of money and helping a lot of people have thousands of members and da, 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 da. But they're like, I'm a way better coach than that person. It's like, yeah, but you don't fucking make any content. You don't put yourself out there. You could have the, the best knowledge in the world. You could be the best coach, but no one's going to buy your shit because they don't know who you are. Whereas mm -hmm. that person, they might not be as good as you, but at least they're putting in effort. They're getting eyeballs on them and they're helping people. They're helping thousands more people than you are because you haven't put any effort into helping people for free online yet. So they don't know you. So I, I think the number, number, number one thing is to make sure that you're getting your information out there. And the easiest way to do that, and I'm starting to do this with my, my jiu-jitsu professor now, uh, and I, is to put instructional videos out there. I, I put instruct whether it's Instagram, whether it's TikTok, whether it's YouTube. Um, this podcast is great, but podcasting podcasting is very hard to grow without another medium to push people towards it. Right. So there are are three major types of long form content, which are, are podcast, website articles, and YouTube. Those are, in my opinion, the three best forms of content for a sustainable business long-term. Podcasts, website articles, and YouTube. Uh, they SEO, they have search engine optimization, which is hugely important, especially website articles and YouTube. Uh, if you can get someone listening to an hour-long podcast or watching a 20-minute video or, or any of that, or like reading a, an article that takes them 30 minutes, you, you've got someone who's really invested in you and really trusts you and cares about you. Uh, those people are the most important people to you in your business. But it's very, it, to, to listen to a new podcast, to just randomly be scrolling through your podcast feed or to randomly be going through YouTube and decide, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this new website article or watch this new YouTube video or, or listen to this new podcast is very difficult if unless someone is referring, like, hey, you gotta listen to this podcast. You gotta listen to this podcast or if they've found you on another medium, which is something like a short form piece of content, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, sometimes Facebook is an, an example of that as well. Uh, but that's where these short form pieces of content you can use to get attention, get eyeballs, and then push them somewhere else. So uh, for me, I think TikTok is massively underutilized in, in this, uh, specifically the jujitsu world. Uh, Instagram has become more and more utilized, but I still see huge gaps in it. And I think there's just so much room for growth. Um, I know, like, I think the benefit that I have here is 
I consider myself a black belt in social media. I consider myself a, a black belt in strength and conditioning. Um, I can, I'm, I'm a blue belt in jujitsu and, and I, and I'm very interested in jujitsu and I'm a consumer of jujitsu and I buy jujitsu content. And so I can see where there are gaps in the industry. And I'm fucking telling you, there's huge gaps on Instagram. There are massive gaps on TikTok. And if you want people to find you and to get eyeballs on you, that could lead to an online business where people can pay you for any number of things. You don't need to worry about what you're going to offer for payment yet. I think that's where people get too hung up. Well, what, what am I going to offer? What am I going to offer? You don't need to offer anything yet. First, you need to get eyeballs on you. And that's going to come from free instructional material that you put onto these platforms. No, you, you said a lot of really good things right there. It's just especially like content assets, attention, attention to details, getting that stuff out there. And that's the biggest thing It's just, and I think that's like a lot of people that they're not confident to put that content out, whether they're, oh, it's not going to be good enough or whatever. It's a lot of times just getting stuff out. Yeah. If you look back at my content from 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, you will see a very shy, very nervous, very camera shy, uh, relatively poorly spoken individual. But I keep all of those videos up. I keep all those articles up. Uh, I never take them down because now people can go back and say, wow, like he's really grown as a speaker. He's grown as an author. He's grown as a coach. Um, and, and what's funny is a lot of those articles and videos that I made 10 years ago still drive a significant portion of business, even though I think they're shit pieces of content now, people still enjoy them. So what's shit content to you could be massively helpful to someone else. And I'm sure you see this in, in jujitsu all the time when you're coaching people, you'll, you'll show someone the most basic teeny tiny detail that to you is just like second nature, but to them, they're like, Oh my yeah. God, I can't believe like in my, like, I'll, I'll tell you one that happened to me recently, like this whole week we've been passing guard and, um, my guard passing has been okay. But the thing that has made it much better this week is just always fighting for the underhook from the top position. Once I get the underhook, cool. I can go for the knee slice. Even if I'm not in the best position on my knee slice, if I have the underhook, I can go. And that's been super helpful for me. Just that one detail, just like to get the underhook. And like, for you guys are like, really? Like that probably is like, fuck, of course. But even as a wrestler and even as someone who's been doing jujitsu for over two years now, that one detail made a huge difference this whole week. I could just like fight for the under, get the underhook first. Get, just saying that, get the under, underhook first was it. It's all he fucking said. I was like, idiot. Just now. something like that <laughs> where, you, where you make content around something like that is it's just massively, massively helpful. I think a big uh, content builder that Aaron's going to be making soon is the uh, his spazzing toehold BGJ Fanatics DVD coming, <laughs> coming on white belt on white belts on on white belts only it's coming soon. <laughs> so one thing you don't know about Aaron once he gets once he gets mad at you like he just starts hitting toeholds from everywhere. You have his I don't, back, I don't get I don't mad. I get frustrated. The feet. He gets frustrated. frustrated. I've seen I've witnessed it firsthand. I get a lapel. He's like I've had enough of this shit. <laughs> toehold. <laughs> Toehold, heel hook, rolling toe holds. Rolling, rolling, rolling toe holds. Holds. Toe holds, toe holds only for for his people. But I think just putting it putting it in perspective, I think like most of the people, I think looking at content, just saying like jujitsu content generally, they're mostly beginners, like white belts, yeah. white belts, maybe blue belts. Those are probably the people who are like. All right, well, uh, Aaron toeholded me for the seventh time in like a six-minute round. How the hell do I go? Okay, toehold escapes into YouTube. Okay, go. What comes up? And then uh, it could be Aaron's fresh face uh, showing some very nice uh, toehold uh, escapes encounters that he knows so well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, 
as we kind of talked, like, you, you know, you know, bullshit, you, you straight shooter, you call a lot of stuff out. What's the, like the biggest thing that you see online coming from whether it's coaches, no names specifically, but like bad advice that you've seen. That's kind of like an irker. And you're just like, why are people keep pushing this? What grinds Jordan's gears? <laughs> and that could be a whole separate pod. That could be a whole book. Um, <laughs> In, in terms of fitness specifically? Yeah, so let's say hey, fitness for now. Um, I would say there is a lot, but I would say in terms of fitness, there's this fear-mongering around, there's fear-mongering on a lot, but specifically in, in, in regard to nutrition, there's a lot of fear-mongering around carbohydrates, fear-mongering around like, and you actually, I see this in, uh, I see this a lot in CrossFit boxes. You see a lot of like, like paleo, paleo is the only way, paleo diet, da, 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 da. and like I, there's nothing wrong with the paleo diet, but the some of the fear mongering tactics they use to promote the paleo diet is just ridiculous, um, and and I have seen this in some jujitsu academies as well, which I'm like, you guys should not be scared of eating carbs because you fucking need them for your competition for your performance. But I see a lot of people are getting wrapped up into this idea that carbs are bad, that carbs are going to make you fat because insulin spikes after you eat carbs. And it's just like, it's so tired and old and disproven over and over and over and over again. It blows my mind to the point where people are like, you can't eat fruit because fruit has sugar and sugar is a carb. And it's like, Jesus Christ, how many people do you know who got fat from eating fruit? Like literally nobody who packed on 50 pounds was like, you know, I think it was the blueberries. It's like, no motherfucker. It wasn't the blueberries. Like, I was like, that's a Boston accent coming out right now. It wasn't the fucking blueberries. I'm sorry. Every time I do a Boston accent, I, I think I turn like Australian. Mate, good day, mate. It's not, it's not the fucking blueberries, mate. <laughs> No, yeah, the absolutely. one thing I think, I think the one thing that kind of irks me is sometimes is like, I think it's more like with coaches and maybe personal trainers where it's just like, you have, they have this one approach and it's just like, we're going to do, I'm just, I'm going to pick on CrossFit, but like, I'm not, that's a whole other topic, but like, all right, like, you're going to do, <laughs> you're going to do just, you're going to do, you're going to do CrossFit, but I'm 80 and I have arthritic meat. You're going to do fucking CrossFit. Yeah. I'm 20 and I want to, uh, I want to gain like 20 pounds of muscle CrossFit. You want, you're a 40 year old housewife CrossFit. Like, <laughs> you're Aaron CrossFit. Like, I think, I think the one thing that irks me sometimes is just like, there's, there's other ways of getting to that goal that you know, like, it doesn't have to be that one specific, you may like doing CrossFit and that's cool. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there's other ways of, there's a lot of different paths of getting to the same destination. And maybe that one path for that you take may not be the best per, best path for that specific person to take. Correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, no, I, I think like when every, the perception is that you have to do maximal output every single workout. Like mm -hmm. if I'm not sweating buckets by the end of this workout, this is useless. I'm like, yeah, but you can't fucking move. Like yeah. you can't, like your knees are blown and you can't work for three days. Talking about like, one client right now. Oh, <laughs> fuck me. Like, but it's just, but it's that like, it's like, okay, you, you can't sit down properly. Your back hurts. You do this. Like we can't do these things CrossFit. We can eventually. Oh, about but like, CrossFit. I tell like, you, bro. I, I mean, that that's like communication <laughs> with um, like, like members, individual or an, your individual client. A lot of times it's just good, like communication, but that's the perception, right? Like people see that and they're like, I need to be pushed like this every session. Yeah. People. It's funny. I noticed that at a young age when I was coaching that I would talk with friends or, or, or just I'd hear, I'd see people online 
say something like, oh, I've got the best coach. And they're about to, they're about to qualify why their coach is the best. I'm like, oh, tell me why. Mike, they make me throw up. I'm like, that's fucking weird. <laughs> right? It's like, my coach is the best. When I'm fit, oh, I can barely move. I'm like, that's why your coach is the best because you can barely move. Like, did you hear what you just fucking said? It's, it's people have, have been told and there's this fallacy of, of um, intensity. We can call it that, like an intensity fallacy that the harder you go, the better it must be. And that's just, that's not true for anything in life. It's, it's harder isn't better, better is better. And uh, I think a lot of people, what they're chasing is they're chasing a feeling. They're chasing this feeling of hard work. They're chasing this like, okay, I'm sweating. My heart is beating out of my chest. I'm super tired. They're chasing the feeling, the sensation of hard work as opposed to chasing a result. And when people start chasing a result of strength, performance, mobility, quality of movement, when they start chasing that intelligently, they start to get the results they want without the, the sensations that they thought were necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that hundred percent like goal oriented. The results of like what they actually want, not this or that feeling. I know, hundred percent. So one more, one more question, kind of before we wrap up. And um, I see that I see I follow you on Instagram a lot. I, I've tried to interact with you sometimes, but there's always, there's always like when you do like a Q and A, it <laughs> always seems to be like the most common question that always comes up, and it's 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 about your new wife. Congratulations, by the way. Thank I you. Thank you. You got married recently. Um, it always comes up. Like, I don't know why people keep asking you, what does your wife do for work? (laughs) How did this come up? (laughs) And why is it none of people's fucking business? (laughs) So from the beginning, when we start, so when we started dating, I did not have a big audience. So, so it's, I think it's really important to clarify that because some people might think like, Oh, like you started dating after you had a big audience. And it's like, I mean, she's way hotter than I am. So like people would definitely think that, but like, um, I, I was, I had a very small audience. I was very like my business, like my business was doing very well, but my, I hadn't gotten much on social media yet. Um, so she, she, our relationship grew as my social media grew. And as that happened and people started to become more interested in her and, and my life and what was going on. And we had conversations where like her and I are, we're not the complete opposite. We're very similar, like our morals, our ethics, the things that we believe in are, are very much aligned, but the way we act is very different. Like I'm no bullshit. I'm in your face. I don't give a fuck. She is completely, she's very shy. She's very reserved. She does not like attention on her at all. Um, so as this stuff started to happen, like I'd be doing a Q and a, she'd be right next to me. And I'd be like, look how many people are asking what you do for work. Like, like, what does your wife do? Where's your, like, like, who does all the cooking that like just ran like all this stuff. And I'd be showing her, she'd be like, why are they so interested? If you Google search my name, one of the first thing that's going to come up is, uh, Jordan Syatt's wife, or what does Jordan Syatt's wife do for work? People are fucking Googling. this, <laughs> uh, so and, it, and that's, it started to be something where like, at first it was funny and then it started to get creepy. And I was like, this, like, why the fuck do people care so much? And, uh, and so then I would get mad about it. I had a, a phase where I'd get mad because I would talk to her. I'd be like, do you want me to say? And she'd be like, I'd rather just like, keep me off. I was like, cool. I'm going to keep you off because that's what she wanted. And then uh, I would get mad about it. And then you can only be mad about something for so long before I was like, why am I mad? This is stupid. I'm just going to make a joke out of it. 
And then, and that was much better for me mentally and emotionally. And then it became a big hit where like, anytime someone asked what she did, I would just make up a job, Like you know, like she's an underwater chess player, or she's like a deodorant smell tester or like an extreme iron or whatever it is. And then that became a big thing now where people want to see like, what other job can I create? It actually worked out in our favor because now people don't even want to know what she actually does. They just want to see what I'm going to come up with next. Yeah, it's perfect diversion, honestly. <laughs> it's good. Or like, maybe she's a deodorant tester smeller. We don't know. Maybe we don't just, know. Maybe, <laughs> that's, maybe the truth is in slipped there. her. You might have slipped her real job in there right under underneath our nose. And we it's didn't true. even know. Oh, that's perfect. So Jordan, before we wrap up today, like what's kind of like the next step for you, whether it's being in jujitsu with your business, like, are there anything kind of like aspirations you want to kind of share with us? And then what's the next big jujitsu tournament you got coming up? Uh, so I want, so for jujitsu, I want to compete once a month in 2022. Like I want to do at least one competition a month. I think I just need to step on the mat more, um, nice. just like get the nerves out and just get more used to competing. I think I'm actually not going to cut weight going forward because I, I was cutting down to light feather. Um, but I think that was preventing me from competing more often, which is like, I'd rather compete more often at my current weight than only compete two or three times a year at a lighter weight. What so, a, sorry, sorry, I don't want to cut you off. What do you weigh normally? Like, what do you walk around at? So like 148, I weigh like 148. Um, without the gi if i put the gi on i'd be like 152 or so mm-hmm. so uh, like just just get swole like uh aaron over there got to get up to 220 <laughs> you don't need to cut weight ever again <laughs> he's, he's filling out that sweater over there it's a double xl that's it. Trying, trying. <laughs> um so, so i think that's what i'm gonna do i it's funny i, I sort of want to go to europeans because it's going to be in italy I feel like, yeah. man, that'd, just, that'd be super fun. Um, and I, my coach wants to go as well. So that'd be a fun trip. So that's like the big one that's coming up in February, but do like all the, like Austin open, Dallas open, Houston open, mm. come to New York. Like, I just want to do one a month just to get better. Um, so that's for competition. And then for myself, it's, you know, I'm at a point where I spent so long and so much of my career trying to grow and grow and grow get more followers, make more money. And I'm at a point now where I've realized getting more isn't going to make me happier. And I'm I'm also at a point where I think doing more will actually do more harm than good, right? Mm -hmm. Where there comes a point, like one of the best pieces of advice I got when I was 25, uh, my buddy, Pat Flynn, he was like, money will solve more problems until you reach a point when it will cause more problems. and, and I think this can be true for many aspects of life, whether it's with money, whether it's with social media, whether it's just work in general, whether it's like, there's, if you, you it will solve problems until it's going to cause more. And, and I think I reached a point in my business where if I keep going all out hundred percent on my business, as much as I have been, it's going to cause more problems, whether it's with myself, with my wife, whatever it is. So I act like for myself, you're, you might've already seen it, like pulling back a little bit less on social mm-hmm. media less posting. Uh, I'm, I'm not really doing YouTube. For, I mean, I, I grew my YouTube a lot over about a two to three year period. And, uh, and I'm like not doing any YouTube. Um, main thing I do is podcasts and Instagram stories and, and that's really it. And so I don't really know what's, what's going to happen other than I just want to focus on myself and my wife and my family and, and jujitsu and, and enjoying life. Um, yeah, I think that's really the best way I could put it. 
No, I think those are some really great goals, especially like when you've kind of gone through a whole bunch of different things and you've kind of looked at it in a wide angle lens and you've gone, you know what, I'm happy where I want to be and this is where I want to go and I don't need any more. I can stick within that. And then you got good goals with like, trust me, those jujitsu competitions are going to keep you busy. So yeah. <laughs> I think uh, you said something about like not needing more. And that's something I've, I've been playing with in my head is I really feel like there's always something more you'll need or, or mm -hmm. something more you'll want, right? Like it never ends. It just yeah. never stops, right? It's just like, you get something else, cool. Now you want something else, get something else, you want something else. And I, I feel it's a bad, I think I got caught up in that. Um, and not from a materialistic, like I, my clothes are hand-me-downs. Like I, I'm, I don't spend much money. I spend the most money on jujitsu is really what I do. But there comes a point where it's like, uh, why, why do I want to get more followers? I have plenty. Mm-hmm why like why am i killing myself to post more on instagram like when i could go and have dinner with my wife or i you know what i mean it's like or i could go out and have, hang out with my friends or i can do something just that's going to be enjoyable for the people that i interact with like going from 800,000 to 900,000 followers how in any way is that going to make my life any better going from 800,000 to a million like just so i can say yeah i've got a million followers like who gives a fuck it means nothing and i think i really got caught up in that several years ago. And, uh, recently I've seen the last six months to a year, I've really been trying to, Hey, like let's focus on what's important in life. No, I, I think you just, you ended it off perfectly. And that is just focus on what's important and just build off that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Thank you guys. This has been great. No, this this is this has been a great podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Um, we do hopefully want to come down to Dallas and definitely try to train with you one day. So it'd be awesome to kind of actually meet would, in person. I would love that. If yeah. you guys are ever in Dallas, uh, you have a place to stay. So please, like you're more than welcome. I would love to train with you. I'd love to learn from you. Uh, and if I can ever help with anything, please let me know. Absolutely. Sure. Show me the single leg. Show me the ways of the single <laughs> leg. <laughs> and, then, and then and then I'll I'll show you jujitsu that is disgracing generations. It'll jujitsu back <laughs> generations. <laughs> what the hell are you doing with that lapel mic? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I Jordan, it. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so Thank much. You guys. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks, guys.